0: Voices. Demystifying Zero Trust is a podcast created by Istari, a global cybersecurity platform. At Istari, our mission is to help create a digitally resilient future for the businesses we work with. This podcast series explores the strategy of Zero Trust as a way to help build cyber resilience.
1: In today's episode, we're speaking with Ashley Leonard. CEO of Sixth Sense, about the importance of accurate endpoint and data inventories as part of a zero trust architecture. Well, thank you very much, Ashley, for joining me today. I really appreciate your time here on the podcast. And why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what SixthSense does? Thanks for inviting me on the podcast,
0: Don. I'm very excited to be here. My name is Ashley Leonard. I'm CEO and founder of SixSense. SixSense, for those of you that are not familiar with us, is a unified endpoint systems management security tool. So we bring together security and unified endpoint management capabilities into a single cloud based platform for managed service providers, MSPs, government organizations, and we help our customers improve their visibility in real time of their endpoint devices, their networks, the cloud infrastructure, help them protect against cyber threats, really improve IT operations and reduce risk.
1: Awesome. And we both know how zero trust is completely dependent upon visibility in the environment. Talk to me a little bit about how SixthSense defines zero trust and how your tool fits into that ecosystem
0: yeah absolutely i think that what we really do is we start with the the kind of concept that you have to really assume that there are unauthorized actors that are already lurking within your organization for us the kind of zero trust mindset really supplements the current guards that you have today the the gates and guards philosophy that you might be using today and allows you to look at each individual asset, whether that be a user, an application, or a device, and start with considering it as being untrusted until it's proved to be trusted. So really the mantra is assume breach, never trust, and always verify. So that's really our approach at Sixth Sense is that by leveraging our unified endpoint management technology and our security vulnerability scanning technology, we're able to look at every endpoint, be able to verify whether it is trusted or not. And um, once an endpoint is proven to be trusted, give it access to the, the kind of crown jewels of the organization.
1: Gotcha. And for those organizations that are heavily invested in the Microsoft ecosystem, Tell me a little bit about how your solution is different than say a defender implementation might be and what value you bring to the equation beyond that
0: yeah if you look at traditional av or even endpoint management tools they're really silos of information and they're part of a zero trust journey but they're not the complete solution and, and that's really I think a really, for me, a really important point is that zero trust is, is a philosophy. It's not a, an individual tool. You can't really go out and buy a zero trust tool. Uh, in fact, one of the things we highly encourage our customers to do is to actually look at their existing tool sets, take an inventory of them and see how those existing tools like Defender can play a part in that Zero Trust journey. So at Sixth Sense, with, with our implementation of Zero Trust, we're actually able to bring in information from other tools like Defender and then use that to, along with our own security vulnerability scanner, our own understanding of uh, the patch status of the endpoint, its current location, the time of day. There's a, you, you can define the factors for you and your organization, in fact, even down to the asset that the end user is trying to access um, as to what trust looks like. For example, if you're trying to access email, maybe it's okay if you haven't run an AV scan in the last kind of four hours. Maybe it's okay that the device is currently located in Western Europe, but if there's critical vulnerabilities on the device, maybe that's gonna be a problem and you should block access to email. Versus, let's say if you were trying to access the accounting system, that might have very different criteria, right? Obviously that really would be crown jewel data. And so you might expect there perhaps if the, you know, the device needs to be located in within a certain distance of the physical office, uh, maybe in the US, maybe you, know, you have to have your AV system running um, Uh, whatever that happens to be maybe the device can't have any critical or um, optional vulnerabilities on the device so with with the sixth sense solution we're able to pull data from kind of other tools that you might already be using leverage that along with our own intelligence to define what trust looks like for you and give access to the resources that the end user might be trying to access I think that's where to differentiate us a little bit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a huge differentiation because if you think about these other tools that are out in the marketplace, they're really just data sources for making decisions. They're not the ability to actually tie all those data sources together and make that enforcement decision much like what you're able to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the traditional way that organizations are securing their endpoints. They used to rely on firewalls, right? And really a firewall to me is a moat and a big wall that went around your organization, but today, You can walk right inside the castle. You can walk through the walls and and you're inside the network. And and today the network is that avenue of attack, but really the endpoint is the destination. So that's what we've really concentrated on at Sense is what we can do at the endpoint to really help secure and harden the endpoint and then use that data in real time to allow access to your resources.
1: Yeah, you could use the analogy of not giving everybody a hammer and keeping access to the hammers to only those people who need them. That way people aren't just banging down your entire organization getting access to critical data.
0: Yeah, and I would also add to that, it's also when they need the hammer as well, right? You might give them the hammer, but only for five minutes because they're hitting a the nail.
1: <laughs> exactly. You don't need the hammer for the screws. You need the hammer for the uh, nails. And they don't need to put it in existing buildings. They need to put it in new buildings. <laughs> so Exactly. That whole... Piece of intelligence and context is what's really critical for any successful zero-trust implementation. And ultimately, it's really critical for the success of zero-trust within a business. And that adds a huge amount of value to a cyber organization to be able to say, look, I know what and when and why and how resources are being accessed versus like what you were saying, which is there are people in the environment I don't know what they're using, how they're accessing it, when they're accessing it, or why they're accessing it. I've let them in the environment. And that's a huge distinction between that traditional security model and obviously the zero-trust approach.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's why the endpoint is so priced. If you can compromise an endpoint… You're then able to use that endpoint to move laterally within the organization and, and dig deeper, right, infiltrate the organization deeper once you've got access to that endpoint. So if you can stop that access, that's the starting point. But then if the endpoint is compromised, then you need to then look at, OK, how do you stop that lateral movement from the endpoint to you know, the resources that really are the crown jewels of the organization? And so we think about assets endpoints as each one is its own digital risk and has its own risk profile. And, and then assets equally need to be your data assets, your payroll system, your email system also need to be cataloged and as well. And then you start by focusing on what the, the kind of most prized assets are first start securing those. And, and move out from there. So that's how we approach that that zero trust
1: implementation. And and how do you help the organization really discover and manage the classification side of the <laughs> equation? Because that's one of the biggest challenges that organizations have.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And it, it is a challenge. So I think, again, that's where at Sixth Sense we have an advantage because we've brought together unified endpoint management with security capabilities. Through our unified endpoint management abilities, we're able to discover devices on the corporate network that you can have a complete picture of Windows, Mac, Linux devices, IoT devices, Linux devices. It's a kind of complete picture, even uh, mobile devices, Android and iOS devices from a single system. And then from there, Uh, be able to analyze what data is actually stored on those devices as well. Also integrating into your cloud infrastructure, let's not forget that, where Azure AWS fully supported as well. So we can use the capabilities of Sixth Sense um, from our UEM capabilities to be able to discover those kind of assets as endpoint assets and use that as a starting point to help secure them.
1: Yeah, that's a very important message, I think, that everybody forgets and I preach this quite a bit, is that you cannot control what you can't see. (laughs) And so you have to go through the exercise of discovering your endpoints, discovering your assets within your environment. And you have to go through that risk-based assessment as to what's important to your organization and what's important to protect and what's not necessarily important to protect before you can start developing these policies. Once you have that critical information in place to assess and classify and discover, then an organization can really start thinking about how best to effectively manage risk. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And with
0: that as well, the way that you manage that risk, I think, is really varies based on the asset that that you're talking about, um, you know, to the point we made earlier around you know, payroll and accounting systems are gonna be a completely different risk profile than perhaps email or a spreadsheet.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's also the challenges of structured versus unstructured data. And like you said, data that lives in the cloud versus data that lives on-prem, data that lives within SaaS applications versus outside of SaaS applications, all of those things are challenges for organizations. But if you have that data that says, I have a well-protected, not in an area that it's not supposed to be in, not doing something it's not supposed to be doing, I can manage access to resources more effectively. Yes. It's a constantly
0: kind of evolving target, right? That attack surface is continually changing. You have people coming in and out of the organization. You have people accessing data remotely. You have a new hardware going to end users. You have with COVID people working from home. I mean, the, the whole picture is constantly changing and evolving. So it really is a continual process. It, it's not a one-off, let's do a scan. Great, we've done it. <laughs> Move on to the next step. It, it really is, is continual process.
1: Yeah, continuous improvement, continuous process, continuous visibility. Just recently, NIST added to their NIST CSF framework the whole governance piece of the equation, which many organizations forget as well, which is all around continuous improvement and continuous visibility and management.
0: Yeah, some great data from NIST and a number of other kind of government organizations as well that they've been publishing.
1: So earlier you mentioned that most organizations should start it started on this journey with the the biggest fish to fry, so to speak. Talk a little bit more about how organizations who have had a traditional perimeter-based security model should really start transforming themselves into the zero trust strategy? Yeah, it
0: is is a process. As we mentioned earlier, zero trust, really, it's not a product that you buy. It's a philosophy. So I think that's really important to understand, first of all. The next thing to do, once you understand that, and understand that this will be a journey, and it's not, you're not going to, stand up a a zero trust project and be done in a week's time. That's not how this works either. What what you need to do is, I I always recommend you start by understanding what you already have in place um, and uh, do a catalog of your current tools. So think about what two-factor authentication tools you're using. Think about any existing management technologies you have So do a kind of full catalog of of all the existing tools, AV solution that you're using, malware, et cetera, right? So start with that. And a lot of the times, you're not actually starting from point zero. Once you've done that catalog of the tools, you'll actually realize that you've already started the journey. It's a matter of tying those tools and technologies uh, together correctly, to be able to start to implement a zero trust solution. Then move on to what your assets are. So, so again, as we talked about, those kind of crown jewel assets. So start there, the things that are most valuable to your organization, because that's going to have the biggest impact. I wouldn't try and bite everything off at once. Uh, is start with the things that are going to have the biggest impact to the organization. Think about not just the assets, but your, your data assets as well. We mentioned spreadsheets earlier, but if that spreadsheet controls your, contains your payroll records and social security numbers of all the employees in the company, guess what? That's probably a crown jewel asset that needs to be protected. You've got to think very carefully about the physical assets, but the data assets as well um, within the organization. And then the networks, which really are the avenues to that data, uh, the other piece to carefully consider and um, all the different entry points to those networks once you've done that um, you're able to um, determine what what the risk factors are and you can start to think about how you're going to implement controls and that's where sixth sense can really help obviously we help on the discovery side um, but we allow you to create um, the zero trust profiles that will control access to the crown jewel assets that you have or the assets you're trying to control within your organization and uh, you can create the risk profiles for each of those assets and and then go ahead and and really repeat <laughs> spread out from from the crown jewel assets down to the next tier of assets um and and keep repeating um and and that's how i would recommend you start approaching a zero trust project.
1: Yeah, and and as an organization works through that journey of you know, starting with the biggest fish to fry, so to speak, and what's most important to them, they're going to continually improve their security posture through the entire process. Like you said, they're going to have a complete picture as to what their capabilities are from a tooling point of view, maybe even from a people and process point of view, where their gaps are and are their control mechanisms and their discovery mechanisms, and you're gonna help them with that as well. And ultimately what's important from a business risk point of view or a regulatory risk point of view that they need to start attacking first. So it's going to, through the entire process, it's going to help them improve their security posture. It's not a, I have to wait three years to be better. I'm gonna be better probably within the first month of kicking off a, a zero trust type of a program within an organization.
0: Yeah, but you won't be done in that month either, right? You, you will definitely no. improve things. I think in the first month, but you, but you're not finished in the first month. And, exactly. Uh, again, as we started, it's a journey, and you got to look at it that way. Um, yeah, I, I I would say probably once you've started that that first cycle, you want to look at some of the frameworks and recommend, uh, recommendations that exist from other organizations around zero trust architecture. And we, you, you mentioned NIST earlier, the stuff from CISA, NSA, DOD, all have interesting frameworks and information that's unbiased around zero trust. So that's certainly a kind of good starting place, but you know, I would say that transition to zero trust really takes time and you, know, you need to start to map out that framework uh, the assets and the tools that you have and and start to then iterate, expanding outwards from your most important assets as you start to secure them with a zero trust methodology.
1: Yeah, so beyond those mechanical aspects or the tactical aspects of working towards a zero trust architecture, what are some of the other challenges that many organizations run into?
0: <laughs> That's a great one. I think it's it, it's broken down to a few different areas. So We actually did a survey with ESA, and we asked in that survey why companies were not implementing Zero Trust yet. And so the data that came back from that was fairly interesting. 41% of the respondents came back and said that they were not implementing or thinking about implementing Zero Trust. Lack of budget was a primary reason um, for not implementing Zero Trust yet. 32% came back and said technical challenges to implement it in their organization that were too great for them at the current time. And then twenty-nine percent came back with no clear direction on how to begin a zero trust project. So I thought it was fairly interesting. A lot of people didn't even know where to start. So hopefully podcasts like this done are going to really help. That's <laughs> I, that is also, honestly
1: uh, the goal. That is one of the goals of this <laughs> podcast is how do you get started? Yeah and if it's
0: done it's a it's yes there's some costs involved. But it also is a competitive advantage for the business itself. I always like to you know, reference an Apple, right? If you it, Apple have taken security and turned that into a selling point for their organization. So if you do it, it really can become an advantage, a selling point for your organization. Yes, there's some costs involved, but but there are some real benefits for the organization beyond the obvious of, of helping reduce your security risk. You can actually turn it into a competitive advantage potentially.
1: And in some cases that can actually be a cost savings in the long run because you're now really rationalizing the tools that they have in the environment to the business risk. Oh, for sure,
0: yeah. And, and it, again, at Sixth Sense, one of the benefits that our customers um, have is that because we're unifying security um, and endpoint management together, they're very frequently able to um, reduce their existing spend on tools, as well as reduce their risk because they have less agents um, on the endpoints and improve IT operations itself. Many people are using vulnerability scanners to go and scan their endpoints and report on security configuration vulnerabilities. And you get these kind of horrific spreadsheets that come back from these tools that are very unintelligible in many cases, but I think most importantly, are very different, difficult to action. And as great as scrolling through a spreadsheet is for the IT team, I'm not sure that's the best use of their t- their, their time. And, and wouldn't it be much better to be able to take that data, feed it into um, a, a management tool that can actually take real action and remediate those security vulnerabilities, rerun the report again or the scan and prove that the device is now secured and that IT is actually making a difference for the organization. For me, it's I think it really is about freeing up IT to work on the things that are more strategic for the organization.
1: Yeah, solve the bigger problems, not the littler ones that are a pain.
0: (laughs) I'd be hitting my head against a wall if I had to look on those spreadsheets every single So (laughs) I think
1: I would be too. I've been there way too many times in my career to admit that it's not fun work. (laughs) I I started my career the same way. (laughs) So thinking broader around managing risk and organization, who should really own the architectures related to zero trust. Should that be a security function? Should that be an enterprise risk? Should that be, be a combination of all of this?
0: Yeah, so ultimately, I think the C-level needs to own it. Um, So it needs to be uh, a priority for for the CISO CIO. Um, But on a day-to-day standpoint, I really believe it's a shared responsibility. You can't look at it as an individual silo. Uh, IT is definitely, the network team is involved, the security team is involved. So it's very much a kind of cross-functional initiative. And because of that, it really needs to be a priority for the, the top levels of the organization.
1: Yeah, and that cross-pollinization or that collaborative environment really brings a lot of business value to the organization. If you think about it, mm-hmm. that cyber is not out there trying to protect what they they're protecting, what the business is telling them should be protected. IT isn't out there developing network architectures and access methodologies and all these other ways to gain access to resources, whether or not they're on-prem or off-prem, if there's no business desire to do it that way and there's no proper set of controls around it to manage risk. So bringing the three organizations, the executives, the cyber, and the IT organization together, in my opinion, does nothing more than advance the posture, the maturity, the improvement and and risk reduction for the organization and the cost associated with deploying and maintaining and managing all of this, bringing it down over time. And that's really what we at, at Astari and what I have been preaching for the last 13 some odd years around collaboration is really the key benefit to zero trust.
0: Um, absolutely. But ultimately, someone does need to own it. And, and because of, of that kind of cross pollinate, I think it, it does need to be owned at a sea level within the organization. Today, if you look at the kind of national vulnerability database, there are 176,000 vulnerabilities in that database, and it's growing by 20,000 a year. This is a huge challenge for organizations to stay up with. And if you look at the cost of a breach within your organization, it's massive. And it's not just in dollar terms, it's reputational loss as well. And that's really why the business needs to care. Because, again, if if your organization has a breach, um, you're going to have real financial damage. And if, again, if it's done, security and compliance can become a competitive differentiator for the organization, not just a cost.
1: Yeah, and disclosure is now, with the new SEC rulings, a fiduciary responsibility if there is a breach.
0: So yeah, absolutely, with serious consequences, right?
1: (laughs) Exactly, very serious consequences. And so now if the executive team is not on board, they're putting themselves and the board of directors at significant risk. So things need to change within organizations. Cyber needs to be thought of as a critical business risk and the best way to approach it in my opinion is zero trust.
0: But with that survey we did with EMA, um, that data, the survey showed that 62% of organizations are currently evaluating zero trust, but only 4.8% have actually implemented something yet. So there's a huge opportunity for organizations to I think improve their security posture and reduce their risk profile with zero trust.
1: Yeah, that's, those are huge numbers that are really telling us to how confusing the industry can be to people. Microsoft did a similar study a couple of years back that said 70 some odd percent of organizations were looking at zero trust and had that a significant fraction, some odd 50 percent had tooling in their environment to support a zero trust architecture and that mm-hmm. only a small amount of organizations were actually executing against a zero trust strategy. And you found the very similar results.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we started this this whole um, conversation earlier by saying that you're actually already on the way. Um, you just need to start by doing that survey of kind of what existing tools you already have. and And you're not starting from zero, which is the good news, I think. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think many people have tools in their garage that they don't realize that they can build just about anything. But it's just about having that plan, that strategy, that overarching architecture that says, OK, here's where we get started. Here are the steps we break it down into. Here's the value we bring to the organization. Here's how we approach this. And. I'll be the one of the very first people to admit that working in an in a knock or a SOC or operation side of, of a of a company doesn't give you much time to think strategically. And so really it's up to the leadership to say, I need to take a step back from the way we are tactically approaching things and now think strategically and how I can as you were saying, make security a differentiator for our organization versus a necessity or a compliance or a checkbox exercise?
0: Yeah, it needs to be prioritized. You, you, we mentioned earlier as well about the, the fact that 41% of organizations um, are lacking the budget or funding for a zero trust project. That needs to change. Organizations need to prioritize uh, zero trust um, it within their, their security plan for the year and uh, and put the real dollars behind it but to do that it has to start at the sea level
1: that's right, and I and I was mentioning this before. I think forty-one percent of people are confused as to what zero trust really means, <laughs> and that's why they haven't started.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree with that as well. <laughs> and it, it is confusing. It's one of those technologies that have been talked about now for many years. Yeah, if, I was at Black Hat a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, you, you, you see it you Black Hat each year that, that whatever the new technology is that uh, everyone's talking about, but but zero trust you've seen for many years, but Again, we just haven't seen the, uh, the organizations really start to implement the technology until much more recently. And but tools like Sixth Sense um, and many of the tools that, that you, you have today can be part of that journey. And it's just a matter of prioritizing this is something you need to do in your organization.
1: Yeah, if you think about it though, we're only what twenty-five, maybe thirty years down the whole cybersecurity journey to begin with as an entire industry, right? And we're already trying mm-hmm. to re we're already trying to rewrite what the rules are as we go because we're discovering it and we're figuring it out as we all go. And technologies like AI and regulatory concerns and risks and enterprise risk and global risk, and all these things continually feed into this, this nebulous soup of what is right and what is wrong to do for security. And we had early concepts of perimeter-based defense in depth. Now we're moving on to this least privileged access and the concepts of zero trust. Who knows where we're going to go in, in another 10 years from now? But the point of the story here is that, look, we have discovered a better way to manage risk for an organization. It requires connecting executives and multiple teams together to get behind it, but ultimately it becomes a market differentiator and a value add to the organization versus just throwing money at a problem and putting a bunch of band-aids in the environment, like what we have been doing many times over the last 10 or 15 years, and that The marketing aspect of things and all these tool vendors out there selling zero trust solutions, quote unquote, are not helping the equation all that much because they're really not helping an organization to really understand what zero trust is and what the approach is versus just trying to sell a product that, you know, that checks a box in the equation. And that's why I like to have organizations like yourself come on this podcast to talk about, look, zero trust like you said and like i've said many times before is a journey it's an architecture it's a philosophy behind security and there are pieces to solving or pieces necessary to solve those problems along the way and companies like Sixth Sense are critical to being able to do that
0: absolutely agree but uh, we are just part of that process <laughs> and uh, exactly. so, yeah
1: it, you got to to really um, think
0: about all of the components that go into a zero trust project, everything, again, we talked about from the assets to the tools that you currently have, and then how we tie those together to create a, a zero trust uh, solution for the organization. But it is a journey and, and you've got to start somewhere. And I think we at Sixth Sense, we can definitely help organizations do that.
1: That's awesome. Any final words of wisdom you'd like to impart onto the audience here?
0: I would say, don't wait. The best thing to do is just get started. Let's get executive buy-in to to Zero Trust. And you've got nothing to lose by starting. Start with the, those crown jewel assets and work your way out from there. Don't try and bite off too much too quickly. And if you want more information about Zero Trust, of course, you're very welcome to check out SixSense and SixSense.com.
1: Awesome. Thank you very much, Ashley. I really appreciate time today. I think a lot of people are going to be knocking at your door trying to get access to your tooling. Thanks,
0: Don. Appreciate your time today as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Demystifying Zero Trust. We hope you found the content both interesting and insightful. Subscribe to this podcast to continue to explore why and how organizations should adopt Zero Trust.